admit I've gotten used to being in stadiums without fans. And speaking with a lot of the athletes and coaches and other people who are inside these stadiums, I get the sense they kind of feel the same way. But I got to tell you, last night, I turned on this topic hard. Good morning to you. Good Thursday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports and the newly reborn DK Sports Radio podcasting network. The Pirates lost to the White Sox 8-1 to last night at PNC Park. It was Roberto Clemente Day across all of Major League Baseball. For a billion reasons, I wish you'd been there at least for the events before the game. Just beautifully handled. I'll get to Clemente later in this show. But it stunk. This was one of the first times, really, that I looked around and thought, man, people really would have appreciated, like, being here. You know, bear in mind that the events that I've covered so far have been Pirates games, and most of them have not gone well. So I haven't thought a whole lot about, gee, the fans sure would love to be here. I mean, there's been some moments, you know, walk-off wins and uh, Key Brian Hayes making his debut. Even some stuff on the road where you think, man, it'd be really cool if there were humans in here. This would be neat. But not that much. It's, just, it's like anything else. You just kind of get used to it. Even that ambient crowd noise, that's what it's called. It's that, you know, when you're in a stadium or you're in any place where there's just a lot of people, there's just this constant murmur that has its own decibel level. Just people talking over each other and whatever else here. There's an ambient crowd noise that's pumped into these stadiums that's routinely measured at around 75 decibels, which is, that's not nothing. The Pirates, I think theirs is a little bit louder than the others that I've experienced, and it's gotten progressively louder over the course of the season. Not sure what's up with that. I'm sure, actually, it's got to be something to do with TV, because what else would they be going for? But it's pretty significant. And Kyle Shanahan, the 49ers coach, very colorfully said the other day, because the Niners were using this in some controlled practices out in Santa Clara, saying that this ambient noise or any sort of consistent noise is, and I quote directly, a form of human torture. <laughs> yeah, it is. It never dissipates. It never fades. It never alters. It's just, ah, uh, like that. Like when you have one of those, you know, those noise-making devices that you get on your phone to try to help you fall asleep. When I'm in hotel rooms, I put on the the fans everywhere. I put on all the fans so I don't have to hear whoever's in the next room or whatever. That kind of stuff. But eventually it can drive you nuts. So the seventh inning comes along of this game. Chicago is already just bludgeoning the Pirates. It wasn't interesting at all. And the organ music of the late Vince Lashide starts playing. Take me out to the ball game. And, and the Pirates have this nice thing where they have somebody, obviously not at the stadium, but participating in singing Take Me Out to the Ball Game. In this case, it was a, a young girl doing a wonderful rendition of it. I'm just looking around the stadium. There's, there's 
There's nobody here. What are we doing? And then I took it further. There's nobody here. What are we doing? Because I just came from a grocery store that had way more people in it than this stadium did. And I've come from other settings that had way more people in them than this stadium did. This stadium, again, to repeat, having zero, or really close to zero, people in it. It's a handful of media, some security, some food prep, and that's about it. You couldn't count them on five sets of hands, the number of people that are actually inside the structure for these games. I'm not going to get into the epidemiology stuff, certainly not the politics or anything else, but I will point out this. As we're heading into September, there are seven National Football League teams that already have plans and have made them public to have fans at their games. The most recent of those is the Denver Broncos. They're going to have roughly 7,000 fans into Mile High Stadium. That place holds 76,000, so it's a really, really small percentage. They're going to have really tight limits per section. How many fans can go per section? If you're with a family or you're living with somebody and you already you know, have that familiarity, you can sit together. Otherwise, everybody's got to really, really spread out. And it's going to be very strange. It might be stranger than having absolutely nobody there because the sound they make being all spread out like that is going to be not significant, okay? But there will be fans in there, and the Broncos are doing this in a fair way. They're putting it up with existing season ticket holders through a lottery system. And ideally, NFL teams will do this across the board. And also, you know, don't gouge. There is a pandemic going on. We get that everybody wants and needs revenue, and that includes NFL franchises, but don't gouge. Don't start charging $5,000 a ticket so that whoever it is that wins this lottery says, I can't pay for this, and then they have to basically get rid of it or put it on StubHub or whatever it is. Don't gouge. The Broncos are one. The rest are the Bengals and the Browns, the only others inside the AFC North, as well as the Cowboys, Colts, Jaguars, Chiefs, and Dolphins. The latter, the Dolphins, you might recall, were the very first team to propose this. This goes back more than a month, and at the time they sounded like they were completely nuts. But now it doesn't seem so nuts. I'm not saying this because we need to tough out coronavirus or we're stronger than the virus or any other stupidity like that. That's how you end up getting a lot of people killed. I am saying it because I really believe there's a safe way to do it. We're doing a lot of things in life right now. And getting away with them, for lack of a better term. We're doing a lot of things. And... Entering a football stadium using 
multiple entrances and exits, something I've been advocating for months for any facility. When you get a ticket to a sporting event in the new reality, that ticket should tell you the one and only entrance you're allowed to go in and out of. You can't just pick and choose the way you could before. Going back to the Broncos example, they have people going in and out, as I said, of the many different exits that are at this place. It's a really, really big stadium. I've done several games there. And you can equally access all these various entrances. The sections, as I mentioned, will be limited. The sections will be strongly advised to use only certain bathrooms and concession stands so you don't ever end up with one of those scenarios where there's a ton of people in any one line or one uh, crammed up area. If you're in section 175, then you use this restroom, this restroom, and this concession stand, and everybody spreads out and all that other stuff. They've installed, the Broncos have more than 500 additional automatic hand sanitizers. And you know the automatic ones. You know what I'm talking about, where you don't even touch the thing. You just lay your hand under it, and out it comes. They have them all over PNC Park right now, too. I must have stopped at three or four of them. Seriously, just last night. They've made it about as as safe as anything else that we're doing. So what would be the reason for not having people at sporting events? It's optics. It's optics. It's just optics. It's just, well, how can we allow that and then not allow this? How can we allow 7,000 people to gather in one spot, but we don't allow this? Well, 7,000 people gathered in one spot is a relative thing when you're talking about a stadium that holds 10, 12 times that many. The Steelers are working with the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. They and the Eagles, both. They're in communication. They're trying to form and present similar plans to what the Broncos and these other six teams have done. I hope they succeed. It's too late for baseball. Baseball's only got a couple weeks left to go, and after that, they might be going into some kind of playoff bubble. There's no point for that in baseball. And the NHL fled the country, as you know, to do their bubble thing, and the NBA's doing a bubble thing down in Orlando. So again, no point there either. You're not going to mess with what's almost done. But it's going to be the NFL that leads the way here on fans in stadiums. And I hope it happens sooner rather than later because I'm confident that it can and will be done safely. Also, man, let's just get fans back. You know, this is weird. It's really weird. After this break, I'm going to take on a couple of topics that are, they strike a nerve. They just do. Stay with me. Really beautiful night at the ballpark. Can't say it enough. Uh, I'm grateful to have had a chance to be in there to cover the game on Roberto Clemente Day with the Pirates taking the field. 
wearing nothing but number 21. There's a part of me, I'm not going to lie, that's a little bit uneasy in seeing a Pirates uniform with 21 and somebody else in it. But when you understand and you appreciate everything that goes into the thought process and you know what everyone involved with the Pirates uh, all the way up to the top, but now really especially focusing on Derek Shelton because this was his initiative, when you know what's in their hearts as it relates to this, it's it's good. It's all good. This portion of Daily Shot is brought to you by the personal injury law firm of Luxembourg Garbett, Kelly and George. They represent people who are hurt in car accidents, have issues with workers' comp, medical malpractice claims. They've prided themselves in doing what they say they're going to do. That's their promise. That's their credo. They've been keeping those promises for over 80 years. LGKG has offices in Cranberry, Newcastle, Beaver Falls, Butler, Elwood City. And you can learn more online at lgkg.com or by calling them at 888-842-5454. I'm on record as repeatedly having written, stated, pleaded, chastised Major League Baseball over not having number 21 retired across the entirety of the sport. Um, The position that Jackie Robinson needs to be kept unique is that that's the stance that they take that's the stance that I've been given this goes back to when Bud Selig was commissioner and now that Rob Manfred is commissioner the position hasn't changed that's the position that was expressed to the late Vera Clemente that's the position that's being currently expressed to the three sons who they still deal with directly by the way it's not good enough I don't see the retiring of 21 and Roberto Clemente's own legacy as being something that would dilute Jackie Robinson. It's a very different people, first of all. It's a different dynamic. Those were different challenges. Of course, Jackie coming in a lot earlier and facing, by all accounts, a much stronger, nastier degree of hate, and that, of course, is the right term there, hate, in his time with the Brooklyn Dodgers than what Clemente faced in Pittsburgh. But I really wouldn't think of it from that standpoint. If you're comparing hate, if you're comparing people's reactions if you're comparing the challenges that they faced, then you're missing something that's a lot bigger in all of this. Clemente's legacy shouldn't be tied to Jackie Robinson's in any way. Clemente's legacy isn't about overcoming hate or racism or whatever. Clemente's legacy is that of the ultimate humanitarian in sports. There isn't another story like his in baseball history. 
There just isn't. There, we've had athletes go off to war and make the ultimate sacrifice. And again, I don't want to get into comparisons, Pat Tillman and so forth. This was a humanitarian exercise that he didn't have to undertake. He didn't have to load up relief supplies for an earthquake in Nicaragua, where he wasn't from, by the way. He didn't have to do it on his own aircraft. He didn't have to advise other people, including Neil Walker's father, to not get on the plane because he worried about the weight. He acted out in the most selfless way any living being could. And through that, in addition to his brilliant baseball career, in addition to overcoming the racism that was still going on, yes, in Pittsburgh as well, in addition to all of that, the combination of this great man's legacy inspired an entire people, the Latin American people, not just in Puerto Rico. The number 21 is magical wherever you go south of our border or out into the island nations. I've been to the Dominican. I've been to Mexico. I've been to Brazil. Everyone knows what the 21 means. Everyone knows Roberto Clemente. Everyone knows that he is connected to Major League Baseball, to the Pittsburgh Pirates, to the city of Pittsburgh. That's not something that anyone needs to be comparing to Jackie Robinson. It is its own thing. And to attempt to diminish it, as the past couple of commissioners have, in their own way, by saying that it doesn't really rate up there with Jackie, is also diminishing the impact that baseball has had on Latin America and that Latin America has had on baseball. We're now more than 15% of everyone in the major leagues is Latin American, and the number just keeps growing. Would that have happened with or without Roberto? I don't know, but I know that it happened with him, and I know that people down there believe that it happened in part because of him. This is not something to be compared with. Just take it as its own thing. Do the right thing. Retire 21. When we come back, I have another... Uh, yeah, th these aren't easy segments to do, but I've got another one that is probably even harder coming up next. Retired from football yesterday.
and I know that's not going to be something that surprises anyone. But I still feel like it's a moment worth noting. As this extraordinary individual is someone worth appreciating in a way unlike anyone we've had in our city's sporting history. This portion of Daily Shot is always brought to you by our friends at the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank. In normal times, one in seven people in our region are looking for food, including one in five children. Now, during the pandemic, that need is that much greater. If you happen to be among those in need of food assistance of any kind, or if you just like to support the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank, do so by visiting pittsburghfoodbank.org. The night in Cincinnati when Ryan Chazier got hurt is going to be the enduring memory of his career, maybe even of his life for most Steelers fans. There's nothing anybody can do about that. I'm not going to lie. It's mine. I was there. I was rattled to the bone. It happened literally directly in front of where my position is in the press box. I can picture everything about it. I can revisit the emotions of the moment through that night. Driving out of there, everything about it. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't fight the urge to focus on that. Because there are two other things about Ryan Chazier to really appreciate, to applaud in a moment like this. When he's announced his official retirement from the game he loves. And boy, does he love football. I mean, some people say it. I mean, this is stuff that I was writing and sharing with you well before his injury. The number one thing, and I really do want to make this number one, is that this was a great football player. Um, I hope that doesn't get forgotten here. I hope that we don't just go at a boy, Ryan, way to tough it out, way to be courageous and everything else here and forget that this was a legitimately great football player, an impact player, a special player, a wild card type player in the defense who could do things that other people couldn't, who could close on a tackle the way other people couldn't, who could cover unnaturally for a linebacker, who was rare air to use Uh, Mike Tomlin's two-word term for Shazier the night that he was drafted in terms of his speed at the inside linebacker position. Inside. Could have been a safety. Could have been a safety at Ohio State. With that physique, with that speed. That wasn't enough. He needed to be closer to the action. He needed to close. He needed to tackle. He needed to call the signals. He needed to be the defense. That is a great player. Not a good one, not a very good one. A great one. 
That's the level at which he was performing for the Pittsburgh Steelers. He was doing things out there that you would put in line with the truly great defenders in Pittsburgh Steelers history. Early in his career, so comparisons aren't going to be all that fair, but when I'm thinking of special talents, I'm thinking of the Rod Woodsons, the Troy Palomalas, more those guys, those types of guys than the the upfront guys, because Shazier was more of the of a hybrid linebacker slash safety before that became a thing in the NFL, by the way. Shazier was one of the first in that regard, maybe the first to really stand out. Great, great football player. Underscore that, all caps. And the rest of it is the other stuff because it's incomplete and it's beautifully incomplete. Let Ryan Chazier show us more and more and more of what he is as a human being, as a man, as a father, as a husband, as a citizen of Pittsburgh, what he's given back. I don't even, that term gets used so much, get what he gave back to the community. Ryan Chazier is just giving. He's not giving back. He's just giving. He reaches out himself to people who have been afflicted with conditions similar to his, injuries similar to his. And he shows them the example that he's setting. He shows them what he's achieved. He shows them the spirit that he's demonstrated. The fight, the passion, but above all, the smile. The determination not just to go on, not just to overcome, the determination to literally make the best of it. He's deeply religious, as you know. Son of a minister. Vern Shazier is his guiding light in so many ways and has been from the moment the injury occurred that night. And if there's anything he's learned from his dad, above all, it's that his trust, his faith in his God has put him into a situation that he feels is being guided by a higher power. As he said yesterday, uh, hang on, I'm just going to actually let him say it. When I was five years old, I made it the greatest discovery of my life. I discovered a game that I love, the game of football. Ever since then, I've given my life to the game. I love everything about it, playing it, practicing it, studying it, watching it, talking about it, and thinking about it. Football gave me everything I could ever want anymore. It taught me about hard work, dedication, teamwork. It took me to college and the NFL. It made me money and gave me a life that most people could only dream about. I'm here today to make sure the world knows how much I still love football, how grateful I am for everything football gave me. And I'm here to let the world know that today I am officially retiring from the game I love so much. It's been over a thousand days since I got hurt on the field. To lose the game in a way I never envisioned has not been easy. 
when you play the game of football the way I did, you convince yourself you're Superman, that nothing can stop you. But then the moment I got hurt, I stopped being Superman. And that was difficult to make sense. But the way I look at it, God put us all here for a purpose. For 20 years, he let me play football and now it's time for me to do what he wants me to do. I'm going to step away from the game for a while and see what else life has to offer. I know football will always be here for me if I need it, but right now I'm excited to explore some new challenges in different paths. I hope Ryan Shazier finds what he's looking for. I hope that he finds it for all the right reasons. I hope they're even somewhat semi-selfish, although that's not really in his DNA. I hope that he finds the happiness that he's seeking for himself, for his family, and for his extended football family who love him dearly. It's hard to imagine after these past few years, the Steelers without Ryan Shazier around. It was strange being around Heinz Field for training camp without him around. It'll be strange today when I go over to the south side to not see him there. But they understand it. They respect it. I hope, and this is just me, and my hope in this doesn't count, I hope he does swing back to football. I hope that he finds what he's looking for, but I hope it does eventually lead him in some form or other back to football. Not just for what he could bring to the Steelers, which he could, but because I know and I recall and I experienced firsthand with him how much he loves this great game. And the game won't be the same without him. But the world is a better place with him. Thanks so much for listening to this. Your front door, your car, your gym locker, your gun. Safety is a habit. Learn more about how to keep guns safe and secure. Visit projectchildsafe.org.